Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon. All the money from Patreon is being used to fund online hosting and to build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our Reflections on Synod with Ryan Brom. And there's such a rich irony in that, because the rich irony that I see with them walking out was... I was unaware that that was even brewing, that that's the kind of move that was coming. Um, and so they make a statement and they walk out, which that means that there's no opportunity for us to even hear or even have a conversation, but where are you at? Or, hey, how can we recalibrate as a body if this is true? And if you're experiencing this, what what things have caused you to experience this? Because I don't have any answers to that. The only answers that I have to that is, as was noted, the the way the numbers came in on the vote was, okay, there's a pretty strong move this way. And I I suspect the majority of people who voted that way, myself included, voted with the majority. Many of us just chose not to speak because we hear the, the, the speaking that's coming from the other side going, well, that's not speaking to the motion. I can't really add anything that the committee has added here. What would adding my voice to the queue do on any of this other than prolong it? So I chose simply not to speak on pretty much anything because already been said, don't want to belabor this point any further. And if if the other side was looking for, and I hate talking about the other side, if those who want to see a different outcome from committee eight were hoping for um, better dialogue, I think they should have asked better questions. They should have laid things out or highlighted where this is where this is not right. Like, help us understand. I would have been more interested to get into a queue and have a conversation with like, hey, that's a really good question. Let's let's dig into that. You know, perhaps the committee is going off the rails on this. But none of that was ever brought forward. It was things that were tangential to, to the motion, which made it really hard to have any dialogue. And then they get up without a dialogue, which it just it, it breaks the spirit of what sin is supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and another thing that I think that does is that squelches debate and that actually squelches conversation that they were accusing us of doing all throughout the week. So I think you're exactly right, Ryan. And the other thing that I would say is, you know, when motions to cease debate were voted on by the body and then after prayer time, they'd say, well, I'm not ready for debate to be done. Well, 
the greatest thing that you could do right now, other than making a scene about this, is to vote in such a way as to do honor to your conscience. Just yes. vote no, and then whatever happens, happens. Uh, that That's the way that would have been, I think, the most mature fashion for somebody who is in the minority camp to behave in. And they yeah. chose not to do that. And even record a negative vote and give your reasons for why. I mean, they could have recorded a negative vote and uh, and given reasons why that they don't trust the whatever, you know, but um, but to walk out was just it was so out of order. Um, that was it was. Yeah, it was pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, I felt dishonored by it that. It, it's one of these pieces that takes you a while to kind of process through now because I drove and I live in eastern Ontario. I had a good solid uh, 10 hour drive to get back home. So it gave me a lot of time by myself to think it through. Oh, my. Um, but but one of the things that that really struck me as I was driving home on that was. This just feels really like dishonoring to my view and my voice that if all of your words weren't able to change my mind that somehow my voice and my mind don't really matter. And therefore I'm not even worthy of being in a conversation with you anymore. Mm -hmm. And and to me, it, it felt really dishonoring to, I feel like there was assumptions thrown onto why people voted the way that they did that here I am voting with the majority. So the way that things were stated as people walked out was really a flinging mud at everyone who is voting with the majority. And I was highly dishonored by that. And, and, and how, how can I even, get back into a place of, of harmony with my brothers and sisters on that. Uh, when, when I feel like I was just defamed without really having any conversation as to why am I voting the way that I'm voting? Yeah. I mean, the initial accusation, and I, I don't want to throw Adrian completely under the bus, but, but he said, I no longer trust this body's ability to discern the will of the Holy spirit. Yep. And so, I mean, that really is a, charge against all of us who are voting that way that we have we had lost the ability to discern the holy spirit i mean that's not a that's a really massive um accusation to be thrown out there against a whole bunch of people like we we have lost the ability to discern the holy spirit that's uh that's bad well can can, can i share i'm going to share with you um classes uh January 2023 for us, where we were dealing with this human sexuality, the overtures against the human sexuality report. Uh, I was vice chairing that classes meeting, and it's the role of the vice chair to coordinate times of prayer uh, throughout the meeting. And so after we'd had our conversation about these overtures dealing with the human sexuality report, um, it was my call to stand up and to lead, lead the body in prayer. And I try to lead in a really non-biased, wide-open way uh, so that way, it's not me trying to push an agenda. I'm sure you've all heard prayers where someone is praying an agenda on you and you're like, oh, man, Holy Spirit, <laughs> I don't agree with that. Forgive me for the anger I'm feeling towards this person right now for praying that way. Yeah, my I don't want to be the guy who prays that way. And and so I prayed what I thought was a really open-handed prayer and just invited the Holy Spirit. I, I, I left a time of quiet and I invited the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of our minds and hearts and sear our consciences as to how you would have us to vote. What shocked me was in that time of quiet, I sensed that still small voice inside of my head say, vote yes, which means in favor of, of, of sending these anti-human sexuality reports, things off to synod, which I'm like, no, that's not right. I don't believe that. No. 
vote yes. I'm like, this makes no sense. And then this word came to me. How can you anticipate that a body is going to listen to me if you yourself aren't willing to simply trust me with voting yes? I've got a greater plan than any of your plans are on this. I can change votes any way I want to change them. So if you are asking them to listen to me and you yourself won't do it, what kind of a hypocrite are you? And it's like, uh, okay, um, how do I know this is not the voice of the flesh? Well, the voice of my flesh would never go that way. How do I know it's not uh, the enemy speaking to me? Well, there's really no scripture I can come against this to know it's not the enemy going there. But at the same point in time, the challenge was my own heart. And just highlighting that I was on my own freaking throne of my heart going, I know the way this is going to (laughs) go. And so as I concluded that prayer and I walked back to my seat where my little paper was, where I was going to vote, it was like the toughest 10 second walk over there as I'm like, I'm going to vote. No, 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 actually I can't. If, If that was the Holy Spirit, and if I do believe the Holy Spirit, which I do believe the Holy Spirit interacts today, Everything about the way that I've heard the Holy Spirit in the past, this matched all of it because it was coming against my flesh and my own desires and basically saying, are you willing to submit to me regardless, even if it seems nonsensical? It was a tough swallow for me when I wrote yes on that to to approve that overture. And I breathed a pretty heavy sigh of relief when the counts came back and it was defeated. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) and so... That's my own journey. And throughout Synod, I was regularly in those times of, okay, Heavenly Father, this is my vote. I'm laying it before you. In the vast majority of the time, there was one vote where I went, this is the way I'm going to go. And I sensed the Holy Spirit say, no, vote the other way on that. But the vast majority of them, I voted it with my conscience and what I was inclined to do. And so to have the accusation, this body is not listening to the Holy Spirit, I I'm sorry. Have you been entering my prayer time and that I've been doing this wrong? Like, yeah, Yeah, I mean, I, and uh, you know, I can even speak as chair of advisory committee eight, right. Which kind of brought about, I mean, I was, I mean, that was chairing, chairing that committee brought me like totally to the end of myself where I realized like, I can't, I can't do this. There's no way I could do this. And so it was like a constant prayer throughout the entire, like every meeting I was leading from beginning to end, it was like, spirit help, Holy Spirit, wait, I need you. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom on how to say, how to lead, how to, how to work this. I mean, it was constant prayer from the beginning through the end. And while I was sitting up there, letting Todd take all the heat as my reporter, (laughs) as I was sitting behind him, I was praying as well. Like, give me wisdom. If I need to stand up and speak, give me wisdom to speak. Otherwise pray over Todd, give him wisdom to speak. Give, I mean, it was a constant prayer of that. The, the, the spirit would be uh, moving. And so I think the spirit was moving and, and I think the body was discerning the will of the Holy spirit. And in this weird kind of way, it got sidetracked and God's sovereign, right? God, I think God has bigger plans for all of this. And, and uh, I have confidence that, that the fact that we didn't get to the rest of committee eight, right. That goes against my flesh, especially we'd put in a lot of work, uh, mm-hmm. you know, blood, sweat and tears into that work um, and for it to get tabled to next year. Um, that's hard. And yet I do trust that God has uh, he's still in control. Um, and it's still his church and he's going to build his church and he's going to use that in some way. So. Yeah. He's, he's still going to build his church. Um, and that's definitely the place where I, where I land. Uh, first of all, it's scriptural. So if I don't land there, there's a problem with me. <laughs> Amen. Secondly, I think it's, it's a very wise 
caution for, for everyone on both sides to legitimately ask yourself, do you trust that he's going to build his church or does this need to be your church your way? Um, Cause as we were packing up our stuff with the very unfortunate ending, there were some conversations I had with people and, and, and this one person said, well, I know people back home are not going to be leaving the denomination or are threatening to leave the denomination because we did not complete this work. And to which I'm kind of going, really? So where, where does that come from? And so this is where I think both sides, progressives, Orthodox, I hate using the, hate using labels because I'm very much not in favor of labels, but unfortunately, probably the most useful way of handling conversations like this on all sides to say it that way on all sides. I believe that there is a strong tendency to try and conform the church to, to match my patterns, to match this is what I think should be done. This is what should have happened this year in Synod, and because it didn't, we are no longer a true church. And and people on both camps are talking that way, that it's no longer a true church because we have no love, we have no grace, no longer a true church because we didn't exercise discipline, because we didn't um, come down with clarity as what truth is. Uh, we're no longer a true church. It's like, Hold your definition of a true church with with an open hand, and maybe the Holy Spirit's doing something else here. And can you at least humbly go along for the ride? And it, and this is where I've, I've said to a few of my uh, American um, friends who I met that synod, who were disappointed we didn't finish Committee Eight's work. I said, for the sake of Canada, can you at least like not be more divisive right now? Because where this battleground is happening is north of the border. Because we have an extremely progressive socialist uh, society up here. Our government's that way. Our media is that way. We are very different when it comes to that uh, than the United States is. And it's and it shows in the makeup of the Canadian churches that people in, in Canada are heavily influenced by what our media does and the way our media thinks. And that's why I think so many pastors have gone down that way is because it's, it's inundating them. The patterns of this world are inundating them constantly. And there is a heavy push from the Canadian side to move down this progressive, inclusive uh, agenda. And I shouldn't use the word inclusive because we are inclusive. It's just, uh, I don't even know what the right word is for that. Like embracing sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not, it, it it goes into, I, I want, I don't want to move on, but I mean, this is part of the war right now is words, right? We don't even know what words to start using anymore because words have become unhelpful in, in a lot of ways that it's, it's one of the, uh, just, it's the difficult part of, of this culture war, but, but I do, I, I want to jump back to what, what you just said, because I think it's helpful for reminding everybody. Cause I have lots of uh, friends who are pastors up in Canada and, uh, and man, your classes up there for the most part are really uh, tense. I think right now, classes meetings are really tense. And so I think, it's a whole nother level even than what we're experiencing. I mean, there's some classes in the United States that are tense like that, but, but I think the vast majority of the classes up in Canada are having some pretty heavy, uh, heavy battles over this. Am I right in, in saying that? You are. And it's been contended as I think uh, either you or will be contended that more in the rural areas that uh, conservatism still exists. That is somewhat the case, but definitely not universally the case. Um, so where my classes is, we straddle the east side of Toronto all the way out to Kingston, which is the next major city uh, out in the east end of the province there. So we actually have a heavily predominant uh, rural predominance within our classes. 
And yet what's really surprised me has been some of our more rural churches have been moving much more progressively. And that's where I'm kind of looking at that kind of going, oh, that's that's curious. What's what's happening here? Uh, perhaps it's um, we're having a lot of people because Toronto is so expensive. We have a lot of people who are retiring and moving out into these regions that there might be some city think that's moving out into the rural areas. Mm. Um, but in, in general, the, the, the phrase that, you know, the rural areas think more traditionally and the city areas think progressively is not true in my classes because we're split 50, 50. Um, and that's representative of both our rural and urban churches. Um, there are some classes, I, I, if I understand, in Ontario, more in the west end of southern Ontario, that there might be some more uh, solid conservative classes in general. Uh, but the majority, as you noted, um, no, we're quite divided. Uh, some are split right down the middle. And that's where I keep saying to people, it it's a 50-50 battle on the Canadian side of the border. And, and I don't want to use the word battle because I, I'm, I'm not interested in war. And yet I feel like there is a pounding down on me that if if I don't change what I believe my core values are and what I believe fundamentally the gospel is about, then I'm therefore a bad person and uh, I don't belong in the kingdom of heaven. It's like mm. crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. What, uh, uh, I you know, you don't have to, we're not going to hold you to this, but what do you think, what do you see happening moving forward um, in the various, you don't have to say just classes Quinty, but say generally classes in Canada based on what just happened at Synod. Do you think things are going to start shifting up in Canada or are things going to get more tense or both? Or what do you see happening? It's a really good question that I don't have clarity on. Um, there, there are a number of possibilities that I see. One possibility that I see is the Reformed Church of America does not have a strong presence in Canada. We have just classes Canada for the Reformed Church of America. That's how few Reformed churches are in, in Canada. Um, I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be a significant shift of people moving from the CRC to the to the RCA, which I think would probably, if I was in their shoes, the way that I view life with integrity uh, is, okay, if this is the way my denominations chose to go, why fight against it? I'm going to find a place that suits or fits my interpretation more accurately. And, and the reason why I can say that with great confidence, that's the way I would act is because I was actually asking those questions of myself prior to 2022. And I was looking into what denominations would I feel that I align with and would my church go with me or they say, no, you just got to leave. I, I, I don't really know. And those are questions I was willing to engage with because I would not remain aligned with something that was so diametrically opposed to what I believed. So that's what I think the ethical uh, thing to do with integrity would be, would be to find the denomination that suits what you believe. And the RCA has more space for that than the CRC does. So that's one possibility. That's my hopeful possibility. But I also know that there are a lot of strong personalities within Canada that uh, say that this is the fight. This is the hill that they're going to die on. And, and I've had conversations with people about this that uh, they're strong about this going, you know, I'm not going down without a fight and uh, they will have to kick me out. And uh, if they don't kick me out, I'm going to keep fighting until they, till they do what I believe is right, which I know there's a number of fighting personalities like that. So the question is what's going to happen there. Will our church, will our classes have the, the constitution and the fortitude to actually deal appropriately with that? I, I don't want to be in the process of kicking people out. But if they're also in the position of going, 
I'm not leaving. I'm fighting this one till I get kicked out. Oh boy. Like that's, that's a really unpleasant future to be looking at. Yeah. So I'm yeah. hoping those are kind of like pub talks that they're just like more words than actual action, but the people who I've heard it from, they got some pretty strong track record of being people who fight for principle. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been curious how, you know, one of the recommendations that, from my committee that did pass was instructing all classes to guide office bears into, you know, into alignment with our uh, understanding of human sexuality in the Christian reformed church as kind of decided in 2022 or not even affirmed reaffirmed, I would say in 2022 and then reaffirmed again in 2023. And now we're saying, all right, now this is who we are as a denomination. Now classes do your work and guide these office bearers into, into alignment with that. Um, yeah, we'll see how that goes over the next year. I mean, that part of that, part of the disappointment is um, of people leaving 2023 is that they, we've heard this from a new numerous people. So you're going to have to kick us out. And it's like, well, for one, we don't want to have to kick you out. Just, it'd be better if you just left. Why do you want this bloodbath on your hands? Yes. But if we're going to have to kick you out, we're going to have to have some, what keeps being called punitive, which is not, but punitive decisions made to kick you out. Like, cause you're telling us that that's, what's going to have to happen. And so, so I, hope, I, I, I just want to ask you a question on this. I've got my theories, but uh, my last theory kind of got thrown out there, uh, which you hope I'm wrong on. So maybe I don't want to voice my theory on this one quite yet. Why do you believe that they, that there are those who want the fight? What, what kind of suspicions do you have exist that they actually want this to be a fight that goes down? Uh, I mean, for some, I think it, it's interesting because, you know, we, I mean, the name of our podcast is the messy reformation, right? So we, we're, we, we want to see reformation happen, right? We talk about that all the time. And I think people on the other side, if you, however you want to word that also see themselves as these reformers, and they're going to they're going to stand and they're going to fight and they're going to reform this denomination into a progressive view and so in in a lot of ways i see them standing there because they think that's what's good and right to do and to leave means to lose in in a sense right or they feel like they're going to i don't know it i i've been trying to figure out why i mean there there are some who just um you know as some people have called it some are just dutch club and it's like this is this is who I am. I've been in the CRC. Nobody's kicking me out. How dare anybody tell me I can't be in the CRC? And it's that. But there are some, the really loud voices, the really loud, um, you know, fighting voices are people, I think they see themselves as reformers and, and they're coming in to kind of lead the whole denomination in that direction. And I think they've been pretty surprised that we're not willing to go there. And when that happens, then the anger, you know, all of everything kind of ramps up a little bit, which is what we were seeing at Synod, right? As as the the denomination refused to go that direction, Wednesday night got heated, Thursday got even more heated, and things just kept ramping up because they're like, we got to do everything we can to try to change to get this thing to go this way. Um, so that's kind of been where I'm thinking. I don't know if Willie has any more he wants to throw in on that. Yeah. Uh, my only thoughts are, you know, the reason I think people are willing to go down swinging on this issue so hard is because of their historic roots here that are rooted in um, 
their history and not really in the theology and the confessions of our church. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people, when they talk about their affiliation with the CRC, you hear a lot of, well, I was born in this denomination. I'm a fifth generation CRC or, you know, my kids, my grandkids all baptized in the CRC. Um, I think they are conflating their legacy uh, in the CRC only in terms of their historical familial structure. But if they're actually paying attention to the denomination and they actually have their pulse, their finger on the pulse of the denomination, they would see, wow, I'm really out of step with where the ideology and theology of this denomination is not not moving where it is, where it has been. Um, that's that's my two cents, Ryan. Yeah, and 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 I would agree with that. Um, I think it's messy. There's a lot of different factors that are in it. Um, I think one of the gracious approaches that I take, at least I hope it's a gracious approach that I take to it, is the people who want to go down swinging. Uh, they see themselves like the, the Rosa Parks and the Martin Luther Kings of the, hey, we will not comply. We will, to which I've, I've got a lot of respect for that because there are definitely things in our world that we should not comply with uh, and that we should be fighting for and fighting against. Um, I, I myself would definitely be standing on those sorts of principles as well. Like if there's violations of human rights and freedoms, like even though I'm Canadian, no, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight against those things. Um, and, and so, so I, I tip the hat to what I believe is a noble heart behind it. But Willie, as you just said right there, it, it's a noble heart that's really disconnected from our historic theology and where our historic theology um, has really had us anchored in the need for regeneration to, to impact every sphere of our lives. And when regeneration impacts every sphere of our lives, things that we once thought were not sinful and okay, no big deal on that, the Holy Spirit's going to suddenly be convicting us of stuff that, you know, might not be a sin for, for another person, but it's a sin for me. And, and like, I've, I've had conversations with people in my own spiritual journey about stuff that I had to give up that is not sinful per se in and of itself, but was sin for me because it was idolatrous for me or was leading to other uh, footholds for the enemy to get in. And, and that's a huge part that I've appreciated about what the Reformed tradition holds there is just, you know, we're totally depraved. We can't bring anything to our own salvation. And in our total depravity, we recognize what Romans states, that we're all sinful through and through. So what does it look like to be reborn, regenerated in the likeness of Christ and the great joy that is found in confession, repentance? And, and there's stuff that I've cast off in my own life that once did give me joy or did give me a sense of pleasure. But you know what? Once you get rid of it so you can focus more in on, on the centrality of Christ and everything— I, I I count that that crap as garbage because hey it was holding me back, and that that's where my heart breaks. Where you know when you are saying that homosexuality is not in and of itself it's sin, you're robbing a person who struggles with that as an idol of their own identity. You're robbing them of an opportunity to be confronted with their true with the reality that their true identity is actually anchored in Christ. And there's things that Christ wants to pull away from them so they can see and find true joy and true hope and peace in him. Amen. Amen. 
Um, I want to, I want to ask one question that we always ask everybody. Cause I just find it fascinating. What, what was something you learned about the Christian reformed church uh, coming out of synod and for yourself in connecting with that or yourself? Cause I think you get put into these pressure cooker situations. You realize a lot about yourself and about the, the denomination that you're a part of as well. So, so one of the things, uh, this came out from the committee, committee number two on this, that this was mind blowing. This is in terms of the, uh, the appeal that we had to deal with. Mm. So I won't get into any of the details of the appeal because that's obviously sensitive and confidential. Um, but what we saw, what brought us to our conclusions there was this crazy tension between church order and synodical rules of procedure where I, I know my church order reasonably well, but synodical rules of procedure, I didn't really look into that much at all. And, uh, the, the gentleman from classes Holland, I forget exactly what his name was, but he was representative of classes Holland. He knows church order and synodical procedure through and through. And then when he highlighted, this is what this one says. This is where this one says, and here's like kind of where they clash with each other. I'm like, Oh my goodness. As much as our order has been really helpful for us to navigate through situations when we're not careful with how one document could, could clash with another, that's how we end up in this situation that we have because we have different bodies appealing to different documents that our denomination holds both up there. And it's okay. I totally understand how we got to this place of messiness within classes Holland here, because we're dealing with church order and synodical procedure. And depending upon how you read this, they're both right. And they're both wrong. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? Did you learn something about yourself at Synod? Not something that I hadn't already known. Um, probably we just got highlighted over again is how much I don't know that I don't know. Yep. <laughs> just like hearing the way that people are talking and the amount that I spent on my phone just just searching stuff. Like, what did that person even mean by that? And finding a whole background on my, oh my goodness, like this line of thinking exists in people. Mm. Um, so it, it just really reaffirmed in me how much I know or how much I don't know that I don't even know because there are some brilliant people that stated some stuff that I'm like, I don't have no idea what that person just referenced right there. I need to quickly do a search on that. Yeah. Yeah. It should be. I think in general, everybody should walk out of synod feeling humbled. Um, and if you haven't walked out of synod feeling humbled, something was wrong because yeah. <laughs> it, you just, again, you know, I, I've definitely felt that chairing a committee just, I was at the end of myself, but just everything. Yeah. You're just like, wow, there's a lot of, really solid, really smart, really like if you walk in there thinking you're a big deal, you you kind of get put in your place pretty quickly that there's a lot of really good, solid pastors out there. A lot of good elders and deacons here who really know their stuff. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and it's not about you. It's about, it's about the body. It's, a, it's about the denomination. So yeah, it's a really humbling experience. Yeah. And, and that nails uh, the conversation that I had with you last week, Jason, in preparation for this as to why I was hesitant to even join this. I'm like, I, I, what's my voice going to be in the ring on this? Like, I've, there are definitely people who are way smarter than me, who are much more articulate than me, who've thought through these things way deeper than I have. I don't see what bringing my voice to the table is of value here. And I appreciate your gentle uh, approach to that. It's like, hey, we're just having a conversation. And through casual conversation, it helps other people spur and learn on their own growth. And that's been probably one of my biggest growth factors in my own life is just listening to other people's journeys and mm -hmm. how they got to the places where they were and what God did in their lives. 
which just opened up so much realm of such a large realm of curiosity for me that I've done my best to take on that approach of just how can I learn from other people? Um, there's certainly foolish things that people say, but if I focus on the foolish thing that the person said and discount them as a fool, I've missed out on the opportunity that there might be one or two nuggets of brilliant wisdom that they have that I could benefit from if I just turn off my arrogant, I know better than you voice and go, even though I think they're a fool, what they say was really wise that I could learn from. Amen. Well, you don't have to. I mean, one of the reasons why we decided to do this podcast and interview other pastors is because Willie and I said, who are the, who are we to speak to anything? We're going to interview people who are much smarter and more articulate than us because we don't know anything either. <laughs> um, and so um, it's, it's really one of the beautiful things about uh, doing a podcast like this is, um, again, to tie this back to one of the things, one of the themes has been the way the Holy Spirit works when you get together and you just start talking with fellow believers. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit shows up and then people listen in on that conversation and they're blessed. And it's not because we're anything special. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a, a really small church in, in rural Wisconsin and Willie, you know, not, I'm not trying to downplay Willie cause I have a ton of respect for Willie, but he's, you know, he's a youth leader and works in a woodworking shop. I mean, from the outside, people would say, oh, they're just nobodies. And, and, we are nobodies, um, but but we get to have really good conversations with a bunch of people who are who are great, solid men and women of God, and the Holy Spirit shows up and and blesses the church through it. It's uh, it's powerful. Well, and I think I think there's something deeply biblical and beautiful about being a bunch of nobodies because the Lord chose Israel of all nations not because they were the strongest, but because no, they're the smallest, the weakest, so He could make His name known through them. Jesus picks a whole bunch of fishermen, just nobodies, to be the first apostles. It, it's a theme that goes throughout the pages of scripture where the Lord just picks people who really are nobodies. And, and that is kind of what I hope to do with my ministry. I'm not overly successful with that, but helping the, just the average person in my congregation find their voice. And just a funny little anecdote on that. Uh, a number of years ago, this before the COVID years, um, I had a, a sermon series where I had, uh, Five different people for each one of these messages that I gave share a bit of their own personal journey with that specific topic that I that I gave because I knew where their journey was from a pastoral context. And so I laid a bit of a foundation where I'd speak for about five, 10 minutes with some theology on it. And then I invite the person to come up and say, hey, now I want you just to share what's your experience like this been? What have you been through in life? And they get up there and they share their testimony. And the feedback I got from that was was beautiful and also humorous. It was beautiful because it had so many people repeatedly say, that's amazing. Like, I'm so glad that that person got up and shared because here's how I can identify um, my own journey. So similar to that, like, this is such a blessing to have the congregation talk like this. And so that, that's the beautiful part. You get to hear people encourage and be encouraged by each other. And I would quite often respond to them going, I'm so glad you're blessed by that. Uh, when can I sit down with you to hear your story so we can figure out a way you can share your story with the people? And immediately, everyone who was blessed by it was like a, whoa, no, not me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Why not you? Well, I'm not. Hey, but if we talk and, and we are like each one of these people, I sat down with them multiple times leading up to this to help them hone what they're going to say to really make them shine. And they shone, didn't they? Well, yeah, they shone. Why can't that be you? Because God's doing an amazing thing in your life as well. Let's do it. And it, it was 
sadly shocking to me how no one actually wanted to follow up further with that other than these five people who I intentionally, and the reason why I was able to push them is because I've been doing discipleship with them. So I knew I could push them, but just the average person who was blessed, I couldn't get their average voice out there, which I'm like, you've just testified how it's such a blessing to the body. Get your voice out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I've been saying. And just to bring this, um, I think it's in our local churches as well. Um, And then even as we think broader to the Christian Reformed Church, um, if we're really going to see Reformation happen, and I'm not, when I say Reformation, I'm not just talking about matters of sexuality. I'm talking about what I spoke to on the floor of Synod to Scott Vanderplug's motion as well. I mean, we need Reformation around the gospel um, in, in the denomination and the way that's going to happen is restoring an, a proper understanding of the priesthood of believers. Yes. That that uh, the nobodies in our churches are the ones that God wants to use to bring the gospel out into our communities and, and to save the lost. And uh, and we need people to recognize, yes, you are a nobody and that's okay. Now go share the gospel because God's working in and through you. You don't have to try to make yourself a somebody. You're you're a nobody who God's going to use for his glory and for his kingdom. Now Now go. Go out into your community, share the gospel, and get involved with what's going on in the denomination. And that's really what we're seeing, I think. Um, a part of this reformation in the CRC is not is not like abide doing all this political maneuvering that people think we're doing. It's just like average Joes, nobody's from the pew saying, hey, we're going to get involved in the denomination because we have something to say and God's, God's blessing that and, and using it. I, I want to throw something out there that I haven't gained traction with in practice in my own church, but people are like, I hear where you're coming from, but I don't think we're ready for that yet. So the real grassroots piece of that, when you share the gospel with someone and someone comes to have saving faith in Christ, you celebrate that and you celebrate that with baptism. And I've had the pleasure to do a number of uh, adult believer baptisms here in my, in my eight years here. Um, and I always feel like it's this weird thing where I get to steal the joy of someone else's work. Because these people have come to know Christ because of a connection with someone in our church. And this is where they've been growing and flourishing. And so then I get to do kind of like the, all right, let's, let's dunk you because um, I'm the pastor here. I've asked a couple of times to people who I've trusted, who I've known brought people to the Lord saying, how about you be the one that does the baptism? Hmm. Because really it, it just kind of makes sense in terms of how the spiritual tradition got handed down to them was through this individual right here. And mm-hmm. each person that I've asked to do that was, no, I, I don't think that's right. Cause you're the pastor. I'm like, well, I'm the pastor, but who shared the faith with them? Well, that was me, but, but you took, no, 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 no. Let, let's keep this back in your court. And I would love to see the, the context of our denomination shift in such a way where we have such a wide priesthood of all believers where things such as baptism aren't just localized with the, the local clergy. Why is it not happening from the average person who has brought their, their friends to come to know Jesus as, as Lord, Savior, and King? And I know we got our polity around that, but yeah. the polity undermines the priesthood of all believers. Hmm. Yeah, and at a minimum, we we should start thinking creatively, even within the bounds of our polity and our church order. There are ways to involve people in that baptism um as, you know so we we've done that in in certain ways I, I i've mentioned actually i mentioned on the floor of synod that as a youth pastor you know 60 percent of our youth ministry were unchurched kids and and they were coming to faith and most a bunch of them hadn't been baptized so we were baptizing teenagers 
you know, not like every week, but fairly regular. We were seeing kids come to know the Lord and the leaders that were part of bringing these students to the Lord or the students, we were trying to get them enfolded in that process of baptism in some ways. And and to be honest, I didn't ever got to baptize them either because I wasn't ordained either. So, but our church would enfold me into the process a little bit. So I still got to be part of the celebration, even though um, I wasn't the one to actually get to dunk them. We could celebrate like, hey, these people God used to bring this, you know, the Holy Spirit used, right? But they were part of this process of bringing this person to faith. And uh, it, it was a really beautiful thing. So we're, we're coming to the end of our podcast here. And one of the things we always do is to give uh, you some final words to, to anybody listening. So we have pastors and elders and deacons and, and lay people. We have a whole wide spectrum of people who listen to this podcast. So uh, kind of what are your final words for them? I think my final words would be Romans 12 verses one, uh, one and two. Don't be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So you can test and discern what God's will is good, pleasing, holy, and perfect will. I, I've been sitting with Romans 12 for a long period of time, just evaluating my own ideas as to why do I believe what I believe? I had the privilege, uh, pretty much every Canadian pastor had the privilege to go to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel through a couple who wanted to bless from, from their abundance, uh, bless all the pastors with getting their feet on the Holy land. And what that journey really did for me was highlight how Western my thinking and my assumptions are. Mm. about how much uh you know the enlightenment and pretty much european thought and history has shaped my view of the world and so as i've spent my time since then going okay this is how much i've been shaped by western thinking what if the western civilization never developed this way what what are automatic truths that just inherently exist that we can see in the word of god and how do i untether myself from a Western view of, of reading scripture. And through myself repeatedly asking those questions of myself, I I find myself constantly standing in a place of awe about the sovereignty of God, because I I will contend my Western rationalistic view really made God quite narrow, narrow Mm -hmm. in terms of um, I can study him and I can understand him. And I I would say I was guilty of putting finite limitations onto who God is and who he isn't. And and naturally God does have boundaries, but who am I to say where they begin and where they end? Um, And I believe that when it comes to even things that we're talking about with the the human sexuality report and synod, I do think that there is unfortunately human proclivity and propensity to, to put boundaries on God and to say, this is what God wants. I know what God's will is. As you mentioned earlier, the, the comment from the floor of synod that, well, Effectively, that person knows how to discern the will of the Holy Spirit. No one else does. I think that that is a danger that exists within all believers, that somehow I have come to, I've arrived at the place where I am fully formed. I have a full sense of what God's word is and what God's will is for my life. So I'm done learning, which it's it's an insane thing that no one would actually agree with. But functionally, many of us actually are, are heretical that way, where we believe we don't need the work of sanctification to keep happening. And this is where I believe one of the ancient practices of repeating the, the prayer, um, Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is a powerful thing. Because as we embed that into our souls, into our lives, we'll have a greater capacity to be able to say, oh, <clears throat> that way my mind has been, compa- has been conformed to the pattern of the world. 
this aspect of my life has been conformed to the pattern of the world. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. I, I would encourage each person to, to really consider seriously how your alignment with whatever tribe or whatever people group that you're a part of, how much has that alignment actually been a microcosm of being conformed by the pattern of this world? That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our Reflections on Synod with John Clompine. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.